invite you to open your Bibles to Romans chapter 9. I love how the Lord works because even as Dexter introduced that song, I thought what a beautiful, perfect picture and example to kind of begin our message. In Romans chapter 9, Paul begins a message really more to the nation of Israel. In fact, some scholars kind of see verses or chapters 9, 10, and 11 as a parenthesis, and a lot of preachers just skip these because I realize that there's probably not a lot of Jewish people or of Jewish faith in this congregation. And yet it's important for all of us, Jew or Gentile alike, to understand what Paul unpacks in these three chapters. And it really is his heartbeat for evangelism. How important is evangelism to you? Dexter mentioned the Great Commission. And I love the word of that song, passion. So let me just ask you, is, is evangelism a passion for you? One of my favorite preachers was a guy named Dave Busby. And Dave shared a, a, a story about the difference between preference and passion. For most people, evangelism is a preference. In other words, if it's convenient, we might tell somebody else about Jesus. If it doesn't put us out, if it doesn't embarrass us, if it doesn't put us at risk of losing a friend, then we prefer to tell people about Jesus. And David tells a story about growing up, and he said, I learned the difference between preference and passion. And I love his story, so I'm going to share it with you this morning. I'm stealing one. Dave Busby said growing up in his home, his mother was a wonderful cook. He loved everything she made except two particular meals. She didn't cook them often, but he felt like he was being punished when his mom cooked this meal. For him, that meal was salmon croquettes. Now, I happen to like those. There was another meal my mom used to cook that I thought we were being punished when we had that. But he said he and his brother would kind of pick over their food, and they really wouldn't eat it, and their mom would finally say, what I guess we learned this, mothers must learn this in mother school. Don't you know they're starving children? And he said her nation of preference was Africa. Don't you know they're starving children in Africa? I heard of one boy that heard his mom say that, so he said, My, here you go, mom, send it to him. I don't know how me eating this is going to help them, but if it'll help them, they can have mine. And David said, you know, I knew there were starving children in Africa. I'd seen the, the television commercials. I'd seen those children. And, and I didn't question my mom. It never crossed my mind to say, Mom, I don't believe that. I have it on good authority that everybody in Africa is fat. They need to go on a diet. He said, I didn't have to mention that because I knew what she said was right. I understood that. But he said, it didn't become a passion of mine until I went to Africa. And as he described it, he said, I smelled starvation. He said, I held a baby in my arms that was starving. And he said, we ended up adopting 12 children from Africa. In other words, providing for their means of living. Now, he didn't do that when he was a kid, just hearing about it. It became a passion when he experienced it. So I want you to have that in your mind, the difference between that when you hear what the Apostle Paul says. I want to read 
I don't normally read an entire chapter because I'm not going to preach through every word, but I want you to hear all 33 verses. And if that stresses you out and you're thinking, good grief, 33 verses, hang on. You really need to hear what Paul says in all of these verses. And I'll read fast. I'm telling the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of the brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom belongs the adoption as sons, and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the temple service and the promises, whose are the fathers and from whom is the Christ, according to the flesh, who is over all, God blessed forever. Amen. But it is not as though the word of God has failed, for they are not all it. They are not all Israel who are descended from Israel, nor are they all children because they are Abraham's descendants. But through Isaac, your descendants will be named. That is, it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise who are regarded as descendants. For this is the word of promise. At this time, I will come and Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, but there was Rebekah also when she had conceived twins by one man, our father Isaac. For though the twins were not yet born and had not yet done anything good or bad, so that God's purpose according to his choice would stand, not because of works, but because of him who calls, it was said to her, the older will serve the younger. Just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. What shall we say then? There is no justice with God, is there? May it never be. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it does not depend on the man who wills or the man who run, runs, but on God who has mercy. For the Scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I raised you up, to demonstrate my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed throughout the whole earth. So then, he has mercy on whom he desires, and he hardens whom he desires. You will say to me, Why does he still find fault? For who resists his will? On the contrary, who are you, O man, who answers back to God? The thing molded will not say to the molder, why did you make me like this, will it? Or does the potter not have, does not the potter have a right over the clay to make from the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for common use? What if God, though willing to demonstrate his wrath to make his power known, endured with patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? And he did so to make known the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy which he prepared beforehand for glory. Even us, on whom he also called, not from among the Jews only, but also from among the Gentiles. And he says also in Hosea, I will call those who were not my people, my people, and her, her who was not my beloved, beloved. And it shall be that in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they should be called sons of the living God. Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, Though the number of the sons of Israel will be like the sand of the sea, it is the remnant that will be saved. For the Lord will execute his word on the earth thoroughly and quickly. And just as Isaiah foretold, unless the Lord of Sabaoth, who left us to a posterity, we should have become like Sodom and it would have resembled Gomorrah. What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness attained righteousness even the righteousness which is by faith. But Israel, pursuing a law of righteousness, did not arrive at that law. Why? 
because they did not pursue it by faith. But as though it were by works, they stumbled over the stumbling stone, just as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. Long passage, and I'm actually going to start with the last few verses and then mention kind of where Paul gets to this place. But my beginning point is that last, those verses 30 through 33. Now let me say this at the outset. In case you think somehow Paul is being anti-Semitic or that I am by preaching this message, let me remind you who Paul was. Paul, born with the name Saul, was a Jew. In fact, he was a Pharisee, a Jew among Jews. In fact, Paul said, if you want to look at an example of a good Jew, look at me. Circumcised the eighth day and, and continuing. You read, read Philippians. As he writes about his heritage and his resume, Paul had a sterling, perfect resume as a Jew. And I think that's why it breaks his heart so much to see what was happening to his own people. And so Paul then comes to this passage, and I just want you to look at the heart of the message. The first is the heart of righteousness, then the heart of the Apostle Paul, and then lastly, the heart of God. Paul says, what shall we say then? He says this throughout the book of Romans. Paul obviously, Paul had never been to Rome, by the way. He's writing to a group of people that he perhaps had met, but Paul had never been there. His intention was to get there, but he's not there yet. And so he answers questions a lot of times that he, know has, he knows they're either going to ask or he's already heard them ask. He says, what shall we say then? That Gentiles who didn't pursue righteousness attained righteousness? Here's what Paul's saying. God reached down to a group of people, Gentiles. In fact, the word translated Gentiles here is the word we get ethno, is the word ethnos that we get ethnic groups from. What Paul is saying is the nations outside of Israel, the nations outside of the Jewish faith, God has offered salvation to them. They weren't looking for it. I know some churches have seeker services. Let me just tell you something. Apart from God, you will not seek God. And so Paul is saying they weren't pursuing righteousness. To pursue means to charge hard after. In fact, it was a word that they used in, in hunting terms. Like you pursued your prey. Paul said they weren't pursuing righteousness, and yet they attained righteousness. They took hold of it. Well, how do you take hold of something you weren't charging after? They, they achieved righteousness by faith. It came not by their effort. It came not by their straining or reaching for it. It came by everything that God had done. And that's what I've been overwhelmed as I've studied the book of Romans, to see what God has done on our behalf that we could know Him. I want you to get a picture of what this is going to look like in heaven. If you had asked a Jew of that day, what's heaven going to look like? They would have said, it's going to look a lot like me, because that's all that's going to be there. <laughs> look what John says in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. He said, After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could count, from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands. The picture that John saw of heaven, and he writes about is, 
There are going to be people from every nation, every tribe, every tongue is going to be in heaven. Why? Because God has offered salvation to everyone. But Israel, so he's explained, here's how the Gentiles got it. Here's how the nations got it. They got it because they weren't pursuing it. They got it by faith. But Israel, on the other hand, pursued righteousness this way. They pursued it through the law. If you had asked a Jewish person that day, are you going to heaven? They would have said, yes. And if you were to say, why? They would have said, because I've kept the law. What do people say today? Let's take this out of the Jewish context, just even to our context. I've talked to a lot of people. Are you going to heaven? Yes. What's the answer they fill in the blank there? Too often the answer is, because I've been a good person. I've, I've done more good stuff than bad stuff. Had one young man in my office not long ago talking to him about his relationship with the Lord. And bottom line for him, he was okay with God. Even though he didn't confess to being a Christian, he, felt, he thought he was okay with God because of things he didn't do. He had some kind of list in his mind, as long as you don't do these few things, then, you know, God's all right with you. Scary. It was scary back in the day of Paul. It's scary even in our day. When you ask people, are you going to heaven? And the answer is, oh, yeah. Why? Well, because I'm a member of the church. Or I've, I've done some religious activities. Or I've done mostly good. The hardest people to reach in evangelism are religious people. Do you hear that? And some of you are saying, what you got against religion? The same thing God had against it. The word religion and religious occur about ten times in Scripture. The majority of the times they occur, God's condemning it. Why? Because religion comes from self-righteousness. And that's where the Jews were. Are you okay with God? Absolutely. Why? Because I was born right with God. Scary in that day. Scary in our day. They didn't pursue God by faith. They arrived at it by thinking they were pursuing it through the law. A recent example of that, my first opportunity to go to Israel. We were walking through the streets of Jerusalem, and some of the ones in the group with me were listening to a Jewish man talk. And I was interested in the conversation. But he entered his conversation this way. He knew that we were about to peel off and leave, and he was heading in a different direction. He said, let me just say this. Read the Torah, and when you come to a law, obey it, and you'll be all right with God. Well, the man and woman he was talking to, the lady looked at me and she said, I ain't reading the Torah. Robert, you going to read the Torah? And I said, well, the Torah is the first five books of the Bible. It's okay. You know, he's not, he's not bringing some strange book out for you to have to read. He's talking about the Bible. But what he was saying is, you'll be okay with God if you just read the law and obey it. What have we learned in Romans? We've learned in Romans that the purpose of the law, what the law indicated is how desperate we were for a Savior. Why? Because we couldn't keep the law. The law was what should have pointed them to their need for the Savior. But rather than pursuing God by faith, they did it by works. In fact, the Bible says they stumbled over the stumbling stone. Several places in Scripture, in the New Testament especially, it talks about Jesus being the chief cornerstone. And Paul says God has laid in Zion, literally a hill in Jerusalem. God has laid this stone, and the Jews keep tripping over it. Let me ask you something. If you get up in the middle of the night and you trip over something on your way to the kitchen, men do this. Women don't do this. Women will turn the light on. Men are stubborn. 
I can just picture some of you, you've, you've hit your little pinky toe and you're kind of jumping up and down because you either stepped on Mr. Potato Head or hit, hit a chair that somebody moved in the middle of the night. Now, if you're smart, what do you do? Well, if you're smart, you turn the light on. <laughs> but the other thing you might want to do is make sure the pathway to wherever you're going is clear. So rearrange the furniture. But here's what the Jews kept doing. They kept tripping over this, this stumbling stone. Literally, they kept stubbing their foot over what God had placed right in front of their face. And they couldn't accept it as coming from God. And here's why they were angry. They felt like somebody had changed the rules right at the end of the game. They had lived their entire life. In fact, for generations, they believed that you attained righteousness by keeping the law. It would be like, the reason I gave up golf is somebody finally told me the high score doesn't win. Every other game I've ever played, whether it's bowling, baseball, football, basketball, the one with more points at the end wins. Well, how would you like it to find out that that's not the way the game's going to be controlled this time? You've played your entire life thinking the one with the most points at the end wins. And what does God say? No, it doesn't work that way. Now, here's what they should have understood. If you look at Hebrews chapter 11, don't look at it there now. We don't have time to look at it, but... Nineteen times in the in the eleventh chapter of Hebrews, and it's talking about Old Testament people like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Sarah and others. It said, "How did they achieve righteousness?" Not one time did it say by their works. Every verse for nineteen verses, not every verse, but it skipped. But every time it introduces a new person, it says two words: by faith. By faith, Abel offered a better sacrifice. By faith, Abraham attained righteousness by faith, by faith, by faith. That's what Paul's been teaching for the first eight chapters of Romans. And yet the Jews stumbled over it. The sad thing is, the sad thing is people in our generation who weren't born into that faith are still stumbling over it. Somehow we've got our brain wrapped around the fact that as long as I'm good enough, God's going to be okay with that. Folks, listen to this. If you could be good enough, Jesus Christ did not have to die on the cross. The reason Jesus died on the cross is because we are sinners, separated from God. And there's a holy God that required a payment for those sins. And that was death. And that's why Jesus died on the cross, to pay the penalty for our sins. Ultimately, to be politically correct, he really died on the cross to glorify God. But he satisfied God's need for justice by dying in your place. Just as it is written, he quotes this Old Testament passage, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed, will not be put to shame. So let me back up then to the first five verses where Paul just shares his heart. Paul says, I'm telling the truth. I'm not lying. My conscience bears witness with me in the Holy Spirit. Why did he have to unpack like three different things to basically say, I'm telling the truth. You're about to see Paul's heart here. And that is he, he turns from chapter 8 where he's talked about the fact that nothing can separate us from the love of God. And that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. And then he thinks about the fact that his own relatives, his kinsmen according to the flesh, 
had rejected that gift of God. And so he says, listen, folks, hear me. I'm telling you the truth. I'm not lying. I'm calling a witness in my behalf. The Holy Spirit would witness on my behalf. In fact, he said this, I could wish that I were accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of the brethren. Do you hear what Paul's saying? Paul is saying, and Paul, even the way he says it, he's saying, I know this isn't possible. But I think Paul's telling the truth. I think Paul is saying this. My heart is so much in pain for the brethren who've rejected Christ that I would be willing to be separated from Christ for all eternity if it meant that my kinsmen would come to know Jesus Christ. Now, I've got to tell you something. I would never say that. If you're waiting on me to say that, you're in trouble. Because I'm not about to give that up. And Paul, Paul knew, what Paul's sharing here is not real good theology. Paul is sharing a lot of emotion. But I think Paul's serious. Talk about passion. I think Paul just unpacked passion for you. I am so passionate that you would know Christ that I'd be willing to give up salvation. Wow. What does that say to us in America, in the church in America, when we're not willing to give up anything that somebody else would know Christ? God's not calling you to give up your salvation. But it may be that God's calling you to give up some of your stuff. It may mean that God would call you to give up some of your reputation or your friends or your time, your convenience. Paul said, for the sake of my brethren. Then he unpacks about ten things as he describes the Israelites. That they, number one, are called by the name that has been given to them. You're, you're of Israel. You're of the nation. You've been adopted as sons. You've received the glory. They had the experience of the Shekinah glory of God. They'd received the covenants. Not just the law. Not just the Ten Commandments. But these covenants that God had made with His people. They had received that. They had received the giving of the law. They had received temple service, literally ministering to the Lord. They had received His promises, over 7,000 in Scripture. They had received the fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and other men who had gone on before them, described in Hebrews chapter 11. From whom is Christ? Ultimately, they had received Christ, who was one of them, who was a Jew. Paul wasn't preaching against Jews, and Jesus wasn't either. He was a Jew, born into that family. In fact, Paul, if you look at his ministry, he always went to the Jews first. Every time he entered a city, read the book of Acts, first place he'd go to was the synagogue. Then lastly, as I'm running out of time, the heart of God in verses 18 through 24. And what Paul is saying is, he's saying to those from the Jews who may say, wait a minute, this is unfair. It seems to me that this just isn't right. It's not fair that God is showing mercy on a group of people who don't deserve it. Did you hear what they're saying? It's not fair that God would show mercy on people that deserve it, don't deserve it. Well, I agree with them. It's not fair. 
But it's biblical. Mercy is not mercy if you deserve it. Getting what you deserve is justice. Folks, I just got to tell you, I'm not going before God someday saying, I demand justice. I demand you to treat me the way I deserve. Mercy is this. My definition of mercy. Mercy is not receiving what you deserve. You've thrown yourself on the mercy of the court. You've said to the judge, I'm guilty. Please don't treat me as my guilt deserves. And what we've learned from Romans already is because of being in Christ as a Christian, God now looks at you as a believer and pronounces you innocent. Did you deserve that? No. In fact, what they're, they're unpacking is, well, if that's the way it is, then, you know, not only is that not fair, but, you know, how can, you know, if God would harden hearts, then it's not fair. You know, you read about Pharaoh where it says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Let me just say, the times that God hardened hearts in Scripture, it always was hardening a heart that was already hardened. And it's used throughout the Old Testament. In fact, the word means to make stubborn. Here's what God did to Pharaoh. Pharaoh had already said, I'm not going to let you go. And so God just made him stubborn. God said, if, if that's the path you're going to go down in, then I'm going to make you confident in your sin. And the reason he did it was to display his power and his glory. And what Paul is saying is, what right do you have to say to God, you can't do with the people you created what you want to do? Will the pot say to the potter? That's the illustration that Paul uses. Would that thing on the spinning wheel be able to speak and say, hey, I don't want to be an ashtray. Have you ever made stuff out of clay? Why is it that every kid starts out making something like a vase and it ends up being an ashtray? <laughs> I don't want to be a pot. I want to be a shoebox. I don't know. How crazy it would be. That's something else I'm having flashbacks on trying to make as a kid. A shoe shine kit. What Paul is saying is how ridiculous it would be for the clay, that lump of clay that the potter has thrown on the wheel and has begun to spin. It doesn't say, I don't want to be this. But you know this? The potter never begins making something that he intends to discard. He intends this to be usable. Sometimes it's for honor. Sometimes it's for dishonor. But it's used according to his purpose. And all Paul is saying is God's got the right to do that. And then he closes by saying, what if God, willing to demonstrate his wrath, to make his power known, endured with patience? For the Jew, they would have said the Gentiles should have been wiped off the face of the earth. And Paul's saying, what if God, within his right, could have done that? Because he's not willing that any should perish. He's been patient. And he's allowed these to come as some of you would think, even at the last minute. Kind of like Matthew chapter 20, the, the parable that Jesus teaches. Well, folks, this is a message that Paul writes to the Israel people. But it's a message that encourages me. I want you to leave this morning with this thought. Salvation is by faith alone. You are saved by grace through faith. It's not a result of works lest 
any man should boast. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Let's pray together. Bow your heads with me. Father, what a great passage. God, to demonstrate your purpose. God, thank you that you are a purposeful God and your purpose your purpose was for the Jewish people. They're, they're your nation. And God, I believe you still have a purpose, a plan that you're working out among them. But God, thank you that the plan didn't just end with that group of people. But Father, you've offered extended salvation to the people of the world. God, I pray that would be an incentive for us. First of all, to receive that by faith. But God, also to take that with a passion to the people that we come in contact with. We pray this in Jesus' name.